Good morning. You may be seated. Thank you for that. You know, I see as uh, Sajjan was talking about my book, Born a Hindu, Die a Hindu, and, and those were the words my mother said to me when I became a Christian and I came home and she pointed the finger and she said, you're born a Hindu, you die a Hindu. But I noticed that Sajjan got a little bit tongue-tied there because he confused two mothers up over there. He confused a bit of my mother and Enga's mother. And I, I thought my mother was, was tough until we heard Enga yesterday. His mother, when he got into trouble at school, his mother reminded him and said, Enga, I brought you into this world and I will take you out. <laughs> so I think he was, he was caught up with, between the two mothers there and I said, let me just mention that to you. It was a fantastic uh, last few days and, and I think the sergeant has done a good job in summing it all up because at the end of the day, you know, we can plan and we can make preparations, but you know, what the Holy Spirit does in, in just a few seconds and just with, the Bible says in, in the book of Psalms that, you know, those who sow with tears will reap with joy. And there's just something about the release of, uh, of, of that anointing. I believe there's an anointing when, when we get to that place where we just release those lacrimal glands, which are just the tear ducts that we have. And there's a, such a cleansing and a, and a presence and a peace. And, you know, with, with being part of Promise Keepers, and that sometimes you, you come across some, some real garbage that's put out there that to be a real man, you know, real men don't cry. Uh, you've got to be a John Wayne. Uh, for the young ones, uh, maybe a John Rambo or a, or a Van Diesel. You know, that, that's what being a real man is. But the reality is that, you know, Jesus wept. And what a man Jesus was, the ultimate man. And there's, there's no shame in that. There's no... Uh, embarrassment or anything like that. And, and Saj will tell you, I mean, yesterday, for the men that were here, uh, they, they will say a big amen because that's what took place yesterday. There was just an ongoing release and a flow of the anointing. And that's something that you, know, you can't fabricate. You can't put on and you can't uh, make it up. And you know, I believe that there's this place, and I said to Saj, I said, you know, I've ministered in many places and you know, sometimes it feels like you're pushing a boulder uphill. But that hasn't been the case yet. There's been such a freedom and a liberty. And I've had my young friend from South Africa, Sarl, accompany me. And, and he's been really excited and really, uh, you know, open to, to receive. And, and he even commented and he says, you know, with the praise and worship and just with everything that's here, there's such a peace. And I said to him, Sarl, you know, what we don't uh, fully appreciate is that it's like an iceberg. You know, we only see the one-third sticking out. But we don't look at the two-thirds, you know, the, the prayer, the, the fasting, the dedication, and, and just the effort that's gone in. So from our side, we'd like to say thank you to the church leadership and, and to you for welcoming us and bringing us in here, especially to our host, Pastor Cecilia, and a good husband, Ian. You know, we've been really blessed and really spoiled. And my journey started off uh, a long time ago in South Africa, but it really came to the fore in '94 because as an Indian in South Africa, I mentioned to the guys that we weren't regarded as, as being black. We were regarded as being half black. But having lived in New Zealand for 11 years, I'm now all black. So... There's a um, progression and a journey, uh, the progression to the journey. And, you know, I come to you uh, really just uh, refined. And I mentioned to the men yesterday how blessed I was to be part of uh, this, the land of the long white cloud. Because, you know, growing up in the old days in South Africa under the apartheid system, you know, we are brought up to believe that we are born the wrong color. And for the youngsters that don't know what I'm talking about, you need to consult the prophet Google. Type in... <laughs> type in the word apartheid and, and you'll, you'll read about that. I mean, it was a real sad state of affairs in the country. But we thank God that, you know, he's moved, we've moved on and we're living in a, in a really blessed land, uh, having gone back now and spending some time there. And uh, I mean, the, the reality is that Sarl and I, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, our association and our relationship wouldn't have been possible. But we thank God that, you know, there's a lot of reconciliation and there's a lot of healing and there's a lot of signs and wonders that's taking place. And that's only because of of what God says in Second Chronicles 7.14, that if my people are called by my name, you know, he will, he will and humble themselves, he will turn and, and heal the land. And that goes whatever. I love what the sister said about, you know, taking a stand and, and, and making our, our voice heard, because that's what we're called to do. You know, we're not called to be passive. We're not called to be people that just lie down. Because there's a great, awesome power that God has given us. And I shared this with... Uh, with the team on, on, on Thursday, the leadership team, that you know, we've got to be relevant in all that we do. There's got to be a meaning and a, 
and a purpose. And that meaning and purpose comes from Jesus Christ. And knowing not so much who you are, but whose you are. And in, in South Africa, I grew up with an inferior complex. Being told that I was not good enough. That, uh, you know, uh, I, was not, I was not a first class citizen. We weren't allowed to vote. We lived in separate areas. We went to separate schools. We, we, we weren't allowed to go to the hotels. We weren't allowed to go to certain restaurants, etc., etc., etc. And I can bring out the violin and I can start going, you know. But the, the thing is, I, I said this on Thursday night. I said that, and as a life coach, I know the people that are going to progress ahead and those that are not. Because those that are fixated in the past, they're not focused ahead or above, but they are focusing down and behind. And the, la- the worst thing we can do is throw ourselves a pity party and start to feel sorry for ourselves. Because I've come across some serial pity party goers. You know, they don't, you can take the horse to the water, but they don't want to drink off the fountain of, of joy that Jesus has given us. They're happy to be in that state. You know, they're happy to walk around in the wilderness and not enter into the promised land. And the thing is, when that happens, you know, I say to people that are on this pity party, feel sorry for me, woe to me, you know, everybody else is wrong and I'm right. I say to them that when you start to feel sorry for yourself, you need to get off the phone to 0800 crybaby. Because it's, it's an expensive call. And you know the cost to pay for that call? It's J-O-Y. Joy. When you start to feel sorry for yourself, the devil robs you of joy. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10 that it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. So when our joy is taken out, we become weak. And therefore it's important that, you know, Psalm 16.11 says, In His presence there is fullness of joy. Psalm 30 verse 5, weeping, weeping is but for a moment, but joy cometh in the morning. So whatever weeping you've been going through in terms of, of sorrows and disappointments, heartache and setbacks, I believe that when we come before the Lord and we lay it all down, you know the Bible is, is quite, well not quite, it is an awesome book. But you've got to appreciate that sometimes we read things and we don't catch it. We read things and it just goes by. And it's so important to pray and say, Holy Spirit, teach me, help me. Because this life that we live is, is not to be alone and think we can do it on our own. And when you read the Psalms, God asks us not just to, to praise Him, not just to worship Him, but He says, bring a sacrifice of praise. And what's the difference? You see, you can come and offer, offer praise, but God is saying, I want a sacrifice. Why sacrifice? Because when, I, when you offer a sacrifice, it costs you something. It costs you forgetting about what's happening. You know, all the disappointments, the sorrows. Because I know I'm preaching to the converted because you are here in church. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed and you say, I'm just, I'm just too gutted. I'm just too overwhelmed. I'm just too distraught to come to church today. But you see, church is not just about you. Church is about the people around you. You know, it's not just about being a believer, it's about belonging. And I get it so many times, you know, people say, oh, I'm not going to church anymore because of this pastor or this person. And, and I, and I, I want to know why. Oh, because, you know, I walked in the other day and they didn't shake my hand. And I'm like, mate, you know, did you ever consider that you know, maybe they were busy, occupied or whatever? Yeah, but, you know, they said this and they said that. And, you know, all I've got to say is grow up. You know, grow up in, in, in a humility and in love. Grow up. Because when we come and we bring that sacrifice of praise, it's irrespective of what people say or what people have done. Because you're coming here with a focus in the mind on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because look at what He went through, everything that He's gone through. And, and you know, by you coming here, sitting there, worshipping, praising God, you don't know the encouragement it gives to the person next to you. You don't know the, the support. Because we're not meant to do life alone. I'm part of Promise Keepers. And one of the things that we do in Promise Keepers, and by the way, it's next week uh, on the 5th and the 6th of Friday and Saturday, Pastor Mike Connell is speaking. And um, I don't have to tell you what an awesome speaker he is. But, um, you know, gentlemen, I, I said this to, to Bryden. Bryden, there we go. You all know Bryden. Bryden's the men's, uh, men's leader. And I said to him yesterday at lunch, I said, Bryden, uh, you know, Promise Keepers is such an awesome meeting, and um, if there are any men here, I'm prepared to sponsor two, two fully paid tickets to go up to Promise Keepers. And Brighton says, if you need transport, 
not a problem. You know, come and see him and he'll arrange it. If that's you, please, I've got two tickets that I'm sponsoring. Please take me up on that offer because, you know, uh, I know that uh, it's going to be an awesome, awesome event. So important. But that sacrifice of praise, if you could just indulge with me at this time. I really believe that there's a sweet anointing here. And, and maybe we need to shake ourselves off. Remember the story of the donkey we spoke about? And uh, for the men that were there on Friday, I hope you put it across that you heard that story for the first time, eh? Because I shared it on the Thursday night and I said to him, now, uh, Inga's going to share this on Saturday morning. But you, you hear it for the first time. He mustn't know that. But that donkey teaches us a simple story that, you know, the donkey, for those of you that weren't here, the donkey fell down the well and the farmer tried to get him out, but he couldn't get him out and they decided to bury the donkey. And after a while, the, the donkey started to cry because all the dirt was being shoveled on his head. And uh, for, for the men that were here, didn't Inga do an awesome job in... Uh, you know, reenacting the whole thing for the ladies that were not here. So every shovel load of dirt that fell on the donkey's head, Inga was, uh, and the donkey would shake it out. <laughs> and, but that's what the donkey did. As the dirt fell on his head and his back, he shook it off, and the dirt fell down, and he took a step up. Every time the dirt was being shoveled on him, he shook it off, he took a step up. And very soon the donkey was able to come out of the, that well, and, and we learned from that. That in life we will get dirt shoveled on us. But we can do two, two things. We can either sit there and let the dirt continue to pile up and pile up and pile up. Or we can choose to shake the dirt off and take a step up. And you know one of the things is that what I appreciate about that story is that the same dirt that the donkey that was going to be used to bury the donkey, the donkey was able to use to step up. And in this morning, you know, the story of Joseph is so close to my heart. And you know, Joseph was thrown into the pit by his neighbors. No, his own, his own brothers, his own family. But the Bible teaches us and we learn that he doesn't stay there. You know, he doesn't allow the circumstance to keep him there because God progresses him through. And um, I believe today that you know, we, need, we need to be conscious, conscious of what happens. You know, in South Africa, we have this blood-sucking creature called a, a tick. You heard of a tick? You get it here in New Zealand? Uh, leeches, yeah, and he, and he just leeches onto you, it, it fastens itself, and, and the thing is, we go through life, and we pick up a few parasites, now I'm not talking about your family and friends and stuff like that, <laughs> but we, we, pick up, we pick up bad habits, you know, we pick up bad attitudes, we pick up, you know, things that attach themselves to us, and you know what they do, they start to suck the life out of us, they start to suck the joy out of us, and I believe today, you know, not in any religious manner. I believe today, I want you just to stand up. And I want you, you know, I know you can't shake as well as, as Enga was shaking, but, you know, just, just with our hands raised, let's, let's, just, let's just focus on, on, on our awesome God that we serve, and let's just raise our voices. And I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, O Lord, and I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, Lord. Just still in the attitude of worship, every eye closed and every head looking up to the heavens. Even as we're going to sing this song just for one more time. You know, I, say, I shared this on Thursday night that Jesus is already in the highest places. God is seated at the highest of places. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. And the Bible says in Isaiah 55 that, Lord, Your ways are not our ways. Your ways are above our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, Lord. So I pray tonight, today, this morning, Father, that You help us to keep our ways and our thoughts to be like You. And even as we're going to sing this song for the last time, I want You just to bring before the Lord that which is causing You the most burden this morning whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, finances, health-wise. And, you know, as we sing, I exalt Thee. You know, we can't exalt God higher than where He is. 
But when we're singing it, we're singing, God, I exalt you above my circumstances. I exalt you above my problems. And I'm letting my problems know this morning that, God, I'm not going to complain to you about how big my problems are. But I'm going to worship you today and let my problems know how big my God is. And we serve a big God. So even as we sing, I exalt thee. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. Oh Lord, I exalt you, Jesus. And I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, I exalt Thee, oh Lord, oh Lord, we exalt You, Jesus. Be exalted in this place. Ora baba ba shara ba yende. Ora baba ba ba sora ba yende. Jesus, we exalt you, Lord, above our circumstances, above our problems, Lord. You be exalted, O oh God. Your name is above every name. That at the mention of your name, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. Oh, we bless your name. We praise you, Jesus. Be high and exalted, O oh God. Above every circumstance, above our finances, Lord, above our relationships, Jesus, above every circumstance, Jesus, we exalt you, Father God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I believe we've got a few Americans in the audience, so let's just honor them, turn to the person next to you and give them a high five. Amen. Okay, oh, sorry, one last thing, one last thing, I completely forgot, I completely forgot. We didn't do the shake. We got to do the shake. (laughs) And um, that shake was to shake off the dirt, to shake off those, those parasites. Now, if you're looking for the scripture for that, I have a scripture, it's in Acts 28. Okay? Acts 28, Paul was sitting very comfortably around the fire. And what came and fixed his arm, fixed itself to his arm? Eh? A snake, a viper. And what did Paul do? He? Alright, and I got to admit that I, my dad was an Elvis Presley fan, so we grew up with, you know, all shook up and shake, rattle and roll. And, you know, the thing is, did you know Elvis was inspired by the Bible when he wrote Jailhouse Rock? Did you know that? Young people just indulge me. Jailhouse Rock, he was inspired when he read, I think it was Acts 15, Acts 16, when Paul and Silas were praising and worshipping God, the whole jailhouse rocked. And the prison doors were open. And that's what happens. That's also a scripture that encourages us about the power of praise and worship. But please, can I continue with my message today? Is it okay? And I want to continue with the power of our testimony. And I said that sometimes we, we want a testimony, we love to have a testimony, but we forget the first four words in front of testimony, which is, Test. We've got to go through a test in order to get to a testimony. And I've got a slide up there that I want to start with. And it's about a, um, a powerful verse of scripture. Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. And what it says in Revelation 12, 11 is, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And what it reminds us very clearly here is that, it's speaking about Satan, because the verse before that says that, they, the accuser of the brethren is, is Satan. And what he does is that he accuses all the time. But they overcame him. We overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that is why it is so powerful. You know, I can, I can talk to you about doctrine and theology and we can enjoy that. But the reality is that some people may disagree. Some people may argue. But when you share with them your testimony, who's going to argue with that? Once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was blind, now I see. Oh, what amazing grace God has for you and me. You know, that's how I was. You remember when Jesus healed the blind guy? And then the Pharisees and scribes came to him and said, Hey, what's happening here? You know, did he heal you on the Sabbath? Why did he do that? It's not possible. 
Now I'm exaggerating when I say that. They ask, which way was he facing? Was he facing this way or, or that way when he healed you? Who cares? The guy said, you know what, see, hold, hold, hold. Sit, 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 sit down here, Mr. Scribe and Mr. Pharisee. You know, I, I don't know anything of that. I do know one thing. Mate, once I was blind, now I see. That's all. Finish. We don't have to go into the details. And, and that's the thing with a, with a testimony. You know, you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt as well. No one can argue with that. And God has called me to be a writer as, as Sergeant introduced me. And there's a, there's a booklet that I've done. And you can see the picture up on the screen there. Called Testimonies to Inspire. And I believe that in our lives, ourselves, we've got testimonies to inspire about what God has done in our life. And it's important to know that we can share that with others. And this book has been written with that in mind that, you know, sometimes people may not want to come to church. They may not want to hear what you have to say in the Bible. But you give them a story of a, of a superstar rugby player. And in this book, there's some very good superstars. There's Inga Tuigamala, Ironi Clark, Bull Allen, and a few South African rugby players that we've written off. And Jason Robinson, those of you that watched the, uh, the video clip with Jason Robinson, how was that? What did Jason Robinson say, the, the profound statement at the end? Do you remember? It's only the dead fish that go with the flow. And so often in life, sometimes we get caught up in the flow. You know, we go with the flow. But God has not called us to be that. I heard an interesting thing. This one's for you, Pastor Lynn. You know, Christians, we are living in an upside-down world. But Christians are living right-side-up in an upside-down world. So don't get caught up with the way the world is going. We continue to persevere. And when we read inspiring stories, it reminds us of our faith. I shared with the, previously that I was in business in South Africa and we we're doing really well. And the question is, well, why did you come to New Zealand? Well, very simply, I got held up at, at gunpoint. And uh, don't worry, I survived. And I, I can see that I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm back in New Zealand now because uh, when I say I got held up at gunpoint, the people are like, Wow. But when I was back in South Africa the last 10 months, and I say to people, yeah, I got held up at gunpoint. They're like, only one time? Yeah. <laughs> but I'm grateful that I survived. And as a child of God, you know, I, I knew that God had a plan and a purpose. Because that's what we've got to believe. It doesn't matter what happens to us. You know, God loves us. And through it, God can turn it around for good. And my wife and I prayed, and we knew that God had called us to New Zealand. So we packed up, and we came here to study on the basis that I'd sell the business and live off the interest uh, that I'd invest in New Zealand. And my wife was uh, with me. We were just married for about two and a half years. My eldest daughter was eight months old. Come to Aotearoa. And the guys that I sold the business to didn't pay me. Contacted my lawyer, cut a long story short. He said, you've got to come back. I said, no, I can't. I've got to pray. And I got the word from the Lord. Whatever I bless you in South Africa, forget it. And on the screen, I've got a few quotes there that... Um, Really just remind me of the time that I went through. Because as, as believers, you know, adversity causes us sometimes to break, but others to break records. And I look at the life of Enga Tuigamala and, and what he went through. Uh, he went across to England and, you know, he ended up breaking a lot of records through adversity. Uh, Pierre Spies, you've seen the video of his testimony and how he was told that he wouldn't be able to play rugby because of blood clots in his lungs in 2007. But he overcame that. And he went on to do great things with the Bulls, winning the Super 14 in 2009, 2010, and playing for the box in the last World Cup. You know, sometimes when the devil puts a full stop, we've got to remember that God comes along and changes the full stop into a comma. When we feel our last chapter is written, no, God is saying, no, there's more. And my life journey testifies to that. I thought I came here and that's it. You know, I achieved all that I would achieve in, in South Africa. And this was, uh, this was the end. And... Coming here, I can see that God has done so much more. And this is what we've got to believe. That when you're in Christ, the best is yet to come. Never ever think that, that you're down and out. Because God has always got uh, a backup. You know, they say that when we have a setback in Christ, He's preparing our comeback. And that's what we've got to believe in faith. And my, um, my advice was to come back to South Africa. But I said, no, I'm listening to God. He's going to bless me anew. He said I need to forget whatever I had in South Africa. Quite a lot of money. And people commented that, wow, you know, that's a great faith to have. But it's not about a great faith. It's about faith in a great God. Because Jesus said, faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. And yep, 
you know, we go through anxiety, we go through worries, and that's what the devil does. You know, he, uh, somebody described him to me as a little mouse with a big microphone, and uh, just screaming in our ears, you know, you'll never make it, you're not good enough. But the truth of the matter is that, yep, while we go through trials, while we go through situations of struggle, we must never be afraid to trust an unknown future into the hands of a known God. And that's the assurance that he gives us. As a Hindu, I was searching for God and, you know, I was brought up in karma and a whole lot of other philosophies. And I talk about karma because that's one of the predominant ones and what we understand. And, you know, karma basically says you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. But that's not how life is. The reality is that, you know, bad things happen to good people. That's what we've got to accept. But as a child of God, we know that God can make all things work for good. And that's what we've got to remember. You know, karma says that, you know, you live a good life and then maybe, just maybe, uh, you may earn enough credit to uh, pay up your debt and live another life in, a, in, a, in the next life form. Uh, so you get reincarnated if you do well. You may get reincarnated into the office of a rich person. And if not, you may come back as an animal or a bird or something like that. And I remember how as young children, as a young boy, you know, when you see ants, there's a sort of this inner thing in you. That when you see an ant as a young boy, you just want to... And I remember that as an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, my cousin and I were, were really doing that. You know, we were really stomping the ants. And an uncle of mine screamed, Hey, stop that! And we're like, What? And he goes, That could be one of our relatives. Come back. Don't do that. So, yeah, I think I had taken out a good few family members there. <laughs> this is in one go. If you don't know more about that, you've got to talk, talk to Sajan and he'll explain that. But, you know, you know, sometimes in our immaturity and in our naiveness, you know, we do things and, and we say things, but, you know, God responds. I, I was told, you know, with the language of the Holy Ghost, sometimes it doesn't make sense in our natural. It doesn't make sense in the natural and, and we mumble and we utter words that are incomprehensible to our human intellect. But God understands them. You know, I'm a father of four children, uh, all girls. Yes, praise the Lord for that. That's why I've got to stay, stay in shape because, you know, when the guys start to come around, it's, uh, it's important to be in shape. And, and somebody said this to me, oh, so that's why you hang around the rugby players. So I was like, yeah, that's one of the reasons. But... The thing is that, you know, with, with life, we go through and uh, we do things that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And with my, with my, with my children, you know, whenever they, before they could speak, um, you know, in a way that we could understand, they would utter words and, and, and do things that, to a visitor, it never made sense. But because of the relationship that we had, I mean, we knew, I mean, there's certain ways that they would cry. And we knew that they needed a change. And that's when I'd be a good husband and I'd pass them over to my wife. <laughs> oh, when they need to be fed, they would cry in a certain way. And, and mom would know, you know, they're hungry uh, when they need a change. Am I, am I talking something foreign? Yeah, we understand that. But to the visitor, they wouldn't know what the baby is, is saying. And, and they make some words that were not understandable. My baby talk is not good, but... That's something like it. And in the Bible, in, in Romans, in Romans 8, um, it speaks about uttering words and making noises that don't seem to make sense. But God hears the groans and the moans. And He knows what it is because our spirit cries out uh, to Him. And I got to the stage where I got, when I got held up at gunpoint, I make a joke about it, but it wasn't a laughing matter. And I was really stressed out because I ended up getting post-traumatic stress. I didn't know at the time uh, because only afterwards, otherwise it won't be post-traumatic stress, you know, so, yeah, I'm glad some of you caught it. So, I don't know what to call it at the time, you know, what is it? Traumatic stress. <laughs> and, um, you know, you, you, you get anxiety and there's this fear, there's this overwhelming sense of fear that comes over you, because you've just had this near-death experience. And I, and I did a very spiritual thing, which, um, can I have a Bible, please? And I'll just, what I'm going to teach you is something that, yeah, that's fine, Afrikaans is fine. What I'm going to teach you is a principle that I'd like, are we getting this on video? Okay, because it's important if you want to get the video clip and, 
and look at this technique because it's, it's really something that you've got to be very spiritual to be able to handle. And it's really an opportunity to hear from God. So I'm only going to do this once, but you can get the video clip. And this is what I did. In my state of, of overwhelming fear, I cried out to God and I said, God, I need to hear from you. So I'm going to open the Bible to any page and you're going to speak to me. Okay. Yes, Lord. Oh, yeah. All right, so that's it. That, that's the technique. That's a very spiritual technique to, to hear from God. And yes, as childish and as immature as it was, my father understood. And my father heard. And my father responded. And you know the scripture that my finger landed on? It was in this next slide over here. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You will stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you will save me. And I thought at that time, God's plans for me were over. But he assured me and he said, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. You know, Jeremiah 33 gives us what we know as the phone number for God. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things. And that's a promise from God. It doesn't matter how you call out to him. God, he's your daddy. He's your father. He knows you. To other people, it doesn't matter. What I did was crazy. They may lock me up and throw me away and put me in a straight jacket. But you know, my father understands. My father knows my heart. And you see, as a Hindu, I didn't know what it meant to have a father in heaven. I knew what it meant to have 3.3 million gods. You know, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I had God, so Jesus was just one of them, and yeah, you know, put him up there, sit him there, 3 million, 3.3 million, and one, yeah, yeah. But it's about a relationship, a relationship that we have as, as children, and our children have with us. All God is asking us to do is come before him, and to, to cry out, and to submit ourselves, and I've learned some lessons in my journey. Uh, one of the things is, you know, coming here as, as a successful, I was successful in business. I had a lot of money in South Africa. I come here and my first job, as Sergeant said, was in Burger King. And not as a manager or a director, but cleaning the toilets, cleaning the floors and making the burgers. But I show you, I wash my hands before I made the burgers. All right? In case there's any Osh people here. But, you know, knowing in my heart of hearts that God had brought me here for a purpose... I knew, because the thing is, we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And right now, you may be in a situation where you can't see the end. You can't see the promise being fulfilled. But you've got to use faith in God. Not faith in faith, but faith in a great God. And trust Him to believe that beyond where you are, God is working a way out. And that's what Joseph had to do. Sitting in the pit, you know, in Potiphar's house, as a slave, in the prison, he never doubted God. I love the story of Joseph, and I'm sure a lot of you do. But when you compare Joseph to the rest of the heroes in the Bible, you realize that Joseph didn't kill a Goliath like David. He didn't slay lions like Samson. But what did he fight with? What battle did he fight? And I believe that Joseph fought the greatest battle that you and I will ever fight. And that battle is with self. Because self wants a lot of things. Self wants a lot of glory. It wants the recognition. You know, me, myself, and I. And God is saying, no, that's not going to happen. Therefore, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, no longer I that live it, but Christ that liveth in me. But the only way we can get to that is by denying ourselves and living after the things of God. The self would want a lot of things. You know, the self would say, stay in bed, don't go to church, don't read your Bible, don't pray. But God is, is encouraging us to overcome and to be an overcomer. And I knew, working in Burger King, that I was there for a plan and a purpose. I knew that, God's plans were, were in the future. They were going to come to pass. I had to hold on. And I said, Lord, I'm here for a purpose. Maybe there's people going to eat these burgers that don't know you. I need to pray over the burgers. And that's what I did. Lord, bless the person eating this burger. You can't say, maybe 12 years ago, you ate a burger in, in Burger King and you felt an anointing. All right? That could have been a burger that I prayed over. And the lesson in all of that is, you are not defined by the job that you do. Your job does not define you. You see, in South Africa, and my South African friends will, will, will agree with me, I'm sure, we brought up to believe that you, to be successful in life, you've got to be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, an engineer, an accountant. Or was that Indian values? Indian as well. You know, the Indians teach their children 
their daughters, marry a lawyer, doctor, accountant, engineer. But I thank God I, I came to New Zealand. And we learn as children of God that your job does not define you. What defines you is whose you are. Whose you are. And you're the child of the Most High God. And that's the key thing. And Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, Work unto the Lord, not unto man. You see, when you work for man and you work for man's praises, you won't get the due reward. And maybe now you're in a job situation where you're getting overlooked for a promotion or you're getting dirt shoveled on you in all aspects. And God is saying, no, I've got you there for a plan and a purpose. Because you may be the only Bible that your colleagues, your supervisor, your team leader, your customers are ever going to get to read. How? By the way you live your life. You know, when I was a Hindu, I had Christian, Christians come and tell me I'm praying to demons, I'm going to hell, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Evangelism 101. If God hasn't give you a, given you a rhema word to go and tell someone they're going to hell and they're praying to demons, don't do it. Please come and check with Pastor Lynn and the rest of the leadership teams. Can I do that? Is it from God? Because you know what it did? It didn't bring me any closer to Jesus. It pushed me further away. It made me resent it and resent them as well. So the way you live your life, you know, my thing was, don't tell me about Jesus. Show him to me. What has he done in your life? How has he impacted your life? And that's the power of a testimony. You know, Enga was overwhelmed on Friday night when I played that clip with Jason Robinson. And you saw him emotional. And you know why? He said to me that was the first time he'd seen that clip. The impact of the impact that he had made on Jason's life was overwhelming. Because Jason said, when Inga came to Wigan, we weren't so caught up about him being an all-black. Because in Wigan, we are league players. We don't worry about union. But what caught our attention, and this is all in the book as well, that's for sale. But what caught their attention was that Inga said he was a Christian, a born-again Christian. And Jason shared, whether he knew it or not, which he didn't know because he watched that for the first time, we were watching him. We were watching his every move, watching what he would do. When a beautiful girl would walk past the bus and all of us would go out and go, Woo! that's what guys do. I don't know that because I don't do that. <laughs> and um, that's what Sarah told me, yeah. Sarah told me, that's, that's what he does. And, and they would do all of that. Immediately after that, they would quickly turn to Inga to see what Inga would do. And Inga would have his Bible open and he'd be like, going on. And Jason said, you know, we'd lose a game. And we'd be gutted. We'd be upset. And, and Inga would come in on the Monday morning. Oh, praise the Lord. And, you know, and he, Jason would be like, what's up with this guy? You know, we'd lose a game. And, and even in the game, you know, he would smash an opponent in a fair tackle. And then he'd bend down and he'd pick the guy up and dust him off. And, yeah, you okay? And, and, and the coach, and this is from the chairman of Wigan. And the chairman would say, and the coach would be screaming, Enga, get back in the line, get back in the line. And when I walked around in Wigan and, and I was introduced as Enga's writer, I had, you know, not dignitaries or, or players. I had local Wigan townsfolk come up to me and say, so you're writing the book for Enga to Wigamala? And I'd say, yes. And they go, let me tell you about Enga. You know, that man changed this town. He changed the sport of league. He said, what you don't know is league was a dog-eat-dog, sort of mongrel mentality. We never took our families to the game. But when we saw Enga on the field, and we saw what he was doing, the way he conducted himself, it changed something. And in the book we said this year, Enga says, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. And that's what he did. He became a Bible to other people that wouldn't normally read a Bible. So much so that the outpouring of that was the local church that Inga used to attend went from one service to three services. Because people would see a sermon on the field that prepared them to come on the Sunday to hear a sermon. And that's the key thing. You know, we think we've got uh, this, this mentality that, you know, evangelizing, witnessing, and all of that, I'll leave it to the leaders. That's what we pay them for. You know, me, I'll just sit there, I'll come there, and you know, when they do the offer for tithes and offering, I'll, I'll put my money in. So I don't have to do all of that. See, the Bible says, not all of us are called to be evangelists. To be an evangelist is an office and a calling. 
But we're all called to be witnesses. And what does a witness do? You know that word testimony in the Greek is maturia. And maturia is where we get the English word martyr. And who is a martyr? A martyr is one who gives his life. Jesus was a martyr who gave his life for a cause. So when we witness, our life becomes a testimony. Our life becomes a witness to them. And all a witness has to do when they're in court is not talk about anything else but what have you seen? Tell us what has happened. That is all. And that's all you've got to do. A testimony. And that's the power that God has given us in a testimony. You know, lessons from Joseph. I wanted to quickly go through some lessons that I've learned from Joseph. And this is a verse that I wanted to underpin today's message. And that is, what you intended for evil, God has turned it around for good. These are the words that Joseph spoke to his brothers. The same brothers that threw him into the pit. That tried to kill him. That took him away from his father. He's now elevated into the position and the office of a prime minister or a governor of Egypt. From being in the pit, working as a slave in Potiphar's house, and in the prison, God puts him into the position of a palace, of, of that position. And his brothers come before him, and you know, if he was thinking like someone in the world, the world says, if someone wrongs you, get even. But Joseph was filled with the Spirit of God. To know that it wasn't like that. Joseph could see the big picture. And you know, there's a famous saying that says, you stand so close to the trees, you forget to see the forest. We missed the big picture. You're going through these problems and it seems overwhelming. We need to take a step back. And we need to raise our hands and I exalt thee, Lord. And that's what we need to do. In the circumstances, sometimes it seems hard. But that's why we need each other here. You see, we don't need each other to go and tell someone why they did that or what they did wrong. But we need to get them to a place and position them up. Pastor Lynn gave me an awesome word on Thursday. Arise and shine, for your light has come upon you. And when I look at that scripture, and I used to play cricket, and in cricket as a batsman, there's a certain position that you've got to stand. And there's a certain position you've got to position yourself in. Sergeant may not know much about cricket, but let me just teach him. As, as a batsman, there's a stance. Your chin, your elbow, and your balance. All has got to be aligned. So that when you play that ball... It flows. How does it apply to us? You see, in life, there's a posture that we need to adopt. There's a stance that we need to adopt. There's an alignment that needs to take place. And that alignment is with God's Word. Not what people say about you, not what your circumstances say about you, but aligning yourself with what God's Word says about you. And that's what Isaiah 55 is about. Lord, your ways are above our ways. But Lord, help us to get there. Help us to align ourselves with your ways. And that's the arise. That's the posture. We need to postulate ourselves in a way that, you know, we are able to receive and we're able to give. One of the most miserly and stingy ways to position our hands is like this. Because you can't give, neither can you receive. But when you give, you open up your hand to receive. Proverbs 11.25 says, He who refreshes himself will be refreshed. And I'm not talking from a monetary sense. You see, if you want motivation... Go and give somebody motivation. If you want encouragement, go give somebody encouragement. Because it's a universal principle of truth. What you give, you will get back. Pressed down, shaken together. It is another one. Shaken together. Running over. So remember that. And in the story of Joseph, his brothers come before him. And, and you know, he could have killed them. He could have clicked his finger and he could have annihilated them. But Joseph saw the big picture. And he was able to say to them, I am Joseph. And, I, and the thing is, his brothers would have been absolutely scared out of their wits. Because this is the guy that we tried to kill and now he's in authority. He can kill us. So they were so scared, maybe they were standing in a few puddles as well, waiting for their judgment. But Joseph looks at them through the eyes of Christ and he says these words, What you intended for evil, God has turned it around for good, for the saving of many lives. Your hardships and your heartaches and your problems. You know the books that I've written, what they are, if you're related to the donkey story. They're just books with fancy covers that hold together the dirt in my life. Now, they're not dirty books now. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yes. And that's the thing. 
In all the dirt that has been thrown at us and all the dirt that has been accumulated in our lives, those are platforms, those are steps that we can use, that God uses to not put us down, but to pick us up to a position where when we stand and we talk, no one can point a finger at you and say, hey mate, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know where I've been. And that's where we speak. We speak from a position of common ground. And that's where the testimony comes in. Jesus went through what we went through. He suffered what we suffered. So that we can relate, or he can relate, and we can relate to what he's gone through. You know, Joseph didn't get angry with God. And it's so easy to get into that place where we get angry with God. But one of the key lessons I learned is to forgive. As hard as it was, I had to forgive the people that did me down in the business. And you know, these people, let me let you know this here. It's not a secret, but some of the guys that I sold the business to were Christians. Now, I know Christians in Napier, Hastings are all honest people. They don't do anything wrong. But in Durban, it was a different story. And amongst those Christians were some of my family members, close family members. Now, I know this is foreign because your family, you all get on very well. There's no problems, anything like that. But in my family, it was a different story. But see, I could choose. I could either choose to let the dirt get me down, or I could shake it off. And that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free, and then realizing that you were that prisoner. When you have forgiveness, unforgiveness, it doesn't weigh, you, weigh the people down, it weighs you down. You know, biologically, having unforgiveness increases your blood pressure. Increased blood pressure leads to a lot of other complications. Why? Because when you think of it, how do you know if you've forgiven the person? When you think of the situation and you think of the person, your blood starts to boil. That's a very good sign that you know, there's a bit of unforgiveness. Come and see the, uh, the leadership team here, Pastor Cecilia, Pastor Lynn and Sergeant, and, and they can help you with a little bit of the uh, uh, shaking to get the dirt off. What I love in the story of Joseph is that when his brothers put that full stop, God came and put a comma. We can learn from Joseph that no matter where he was, he prospered. You know, in Genesis 39, he goes into Potiphar's house. He goes there as a slave. And Potiphar looks at him and immediately sees and makes this comment, Surely the Lord is with you. Surely the favor of God was on Joseph. And what he does, he promotes him. And if that was a coincidence... When he gets thrown into the prison after being falsely accused, he goes in there and the jailer says the very same words. Surely the Lord is with you. Now in his presence there is fullness of joy. Joseph maintained the presence of God because he didn't diss God. He didn't complain. He didn't shake his fist to God. There's no way in the Bible it says that. But Joseph took it on with the big picture in mind. Yeah, God's promoting me. God's taking me from here. And this is what we've got to believe in faith. And you know, I don't know where you're at at this time. But I want you to know that when you maintain God's presence through worship, through fellowship, through reading His Word. The Bible says in Psalm 75 that promotion and exaltation comes neither from the east, the west, the north, nor the south. But promotion and exaltation comes from God. You know, I progressed from Burger King. I got promoted. I started packing shelves in, in Woolworths and and I mentioned to the people on, on, on Friday night that if you're the type of person that takes an item from the shelf and goes to the till and realizes you don't need it, please go put it back in the shelf. All right? Because it was hard work, man. Every night I had to go and take all of those things. And you know, I tell you, as a South African coming to New Zealand, I was totally overwhelmed. And I said to Sarah, I need to take him to one of these tourist attractions, preferably one of these big supermarkets, and show him the, 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 uh, the pet food aisle. Because in South Africa, we just got like about three pet foods, you know, that, that, and that. In New Zealand, my goodness, the whole aisle is full. And they love their cats more than their dogs, I can tell you that. Because when I was packing those, those, those shelves with the cat food, some of them really smelled some nice salmon and gourmet this and gourmet that. Now, where was I? Okay, moving right along now. Pastor Lynn, they're just laughing uncontrollably. Please, get yourselves together. <laughs> you know, the name Joseph is quite significant. Because it means, may God add or God increase. And it was a name given to Joseph by his mother, Rachel, who was barren at the time. 
you know, she couldn't have children. And I, and I know, I mean, at, at that time, the history books say that if a woman was barren, it was an embarrassing situation. It was shameful for her. And some of that has rubbed off into our Indian culture as well, uh, where if a woman can't have children, you know, it's seen as, as sort of a, a sinful thing. So I can, I can understand where, where Rachel was at the time, in a place of embarrassment, of shame, which wasn't her fault. I mean, she didn't ask for a womb to be barren. And sometimes in life, we find ourselves in those barren situations, whether it's in our finances, our relationships, in work-wise, in business-wise, health-wise. There's a barrenness. There's a dryness. There's a, there's a lack. There's an emptiness. And you know something powerful? The Bible says that you know, when, when Rachel cried out to God, he heard. Because she was competing with her sister Leah for the affection of their husband. And Leah was, man, she was going at it, you know, one after the other, having a child. And Rachel was sitting there and, God, why me? Why me? And we find ourselves in situations like that. Lord, why me? You know, I come to church. I pay my tithes. You know, I'm there every time. I serve in this. I serve in that. You know, I've got a scripture for you. Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not become weary in doing good. For we shall reap if we faint not. At the right time, there's a due season. And maybe your due season is not now. And I walk, I'm driving along now and I can see the flowers in the orchards. And the flowers say that it's coming. The harvest is coming. There's a due season. But you know what Paul is saying to the Galatian church? When you really look at it, let us not become weary. Let us not become tired in doing good. Just looking at that part there, you realize sometimes doing good all the time can be tiresome. We get so, so weary. We keep on doing good. But nothing is happening. Lord, I've, I've kept everything. I've done everything. But I'm getting tired. And here Paul is saying, do not become tired in doing good. There is a due season if you don't give up. And I love these words that the Bible records with regards to Rachel. In her desperation, in a sense of lack, in a sense of shame and embarrassment, God hears. And the Bible says, God remembered her. Maybe you've been looking for a sign, God an answer. You know, God sent this half black all the way from South Africa to come here in the land of the all blacks to remind you, to turn your posture to get your stance up there and to hear these words. God remembered her. And I want you to do a substitution. Take that pronoun her out and put your name there. God remembers Suze. God remembers Sajan. God remembers Lynn. God remembers you. You know, before the second catastrophic earthquake hit, Christchurch. I was invited to speak at Hallswell Baptist. And the, the earthquake hit and I left it for a little while and, and then I phoned Pastor Roger Spicer and I said, Roger, under the circumstances I understand if you want to cancel my, my appointment. And he says, no, man. Under the circumstances we want you to come. And it put me into a position where God, what do I say to this the city? What do I say to the people that have suffered devastation and have been in a situation that I haven't experienced? And God gave me this word. You go down and you tell them that I remember them. I haven't forgotten about them. And sometimes we go through situations where all hell breaks loose. But we need to have the faith to believe that when all hell breaks loose, all heaven comes to our rescue. You're not alone. God is with you. And God remembers you. Do not ever believe the lie of the devil. And God can turn around and He can open up the dryness and He can open up any situation that you feel is barren. And I want you to be encouraged also that you've got to be careful about the vocabulary that you use. You can't get to the palace by talking like a peasant. What do I mean by that? 
Don't use words to describe your situation, but use words to change your situation. There's a family declaration that we pronounce. And I've got my kids here. They weren't able to come, but wherever I go, and if they aren't able to make it to do it live, I, I get the video clip up. And if that video clip is ready, you can go ahead and show it. This is our family declaration. Tell that stuff. situation, use God's word to change. Ezekiel, what do you see? Dry bones. Ezekiel, you prophesy to those dry bones. What do you see? Unemployment, sickness, lack, troubles in your relationships. You prophesy God's word. You prophesy hope over the situation. You've got to believe and you've got to trust God that He can make a way where there seems to be no way. You know, when we look at life, we can get so caught up in everything that life has to offer. But we need to hold on to what God's Word says to us. And God's Word speaks about a grace. I've spoken the Word many times. I've traveled and preached many sermons. But our walk with the Lord and our Christianity comes down to this one word. It's all about grace. All other religions speak about works. Do this and do that and do, 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 and then you end up in do, do. And in the, in the book that I've written about my testimony of becoming a Hindu from a Christian, I've shared some in, becoming a Christian from a Hindu. Thank you for that there. Just checking to see if you're awake. I've shared some truths about what karma says and what the Word of God says. Karma says there's no way out. Karma says there's no hope. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. But the Word of God says that you are a new creation. You, you have a new beginning. And that's what Jesus Christ offers. He gives you the hope. And it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what He's done. You see, all the other religions differ in philosophy and theology. But Christianity is based on a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. In the book, I, I had Steve Kumar, Dr. Steve Kumar, one of the leading apologists in New Zealand and throughout, write the last word. And he said, Mine, what do you want me to write? I said, Steve, I want you to tackle the famous Hindu philosophy that says all religions are the same. And he says, that's simple, Mine. All religions cannot be the same because all religions teach different things. To believe that all religions teach the same and lead to the same place is an illogical statement and a belief. Because all religions teach different things. And one of the major differing points is that religions speak about works, earning your way. Whereas Christianity speaks about grace. It's done, it's finished. And you know James Irwin, recently Neil Armstrong passed away, the astronaut that walked on, on the moon. And Neil Armstrong spoke about the fact that you know, he's going away to be with his maker. And James Irwin said these words. He says, the greatest event in mankind 
is not when man walked on the moon, but when God walked on the earth. And this God gave up heaven to come down for you. Emmanuel, God with us. We, we are brought up as Hindus to believe in a distant, far away being. That God was too far away to worry about you. We are taught to believe that if we do anything wrong, God's waiting with a big stick to whack you. Not a loving father to embrace you. And we brought up to believe that. But when we read about Emmanuel and, and what God has done, and the fact that he's finished it, on the cross. There's, there's rest. There is peace. Sometimes we don't live up to people's expectations. Sometimes we don't meet their standards. And Inga so beautifully conveyed that yesterday in the men's breakfast with a clip from Saving Private Ryan at the end. Private Ryan is standing at the graveside of, of Tom Hanks, the fallen captain. And he remembers the words that Tom Hanks said to him before he died. He says, you earned this. You earned this. All the men's lives that I've been killed to get you safe to your mom. You earn it. And he stands there, transported maybe 50, 60 years, and, he, and he's saying to his wife, he says to her, tell me, tell me I've been a good man. And she goes, what? And he says, tell me that I've been a good husband, a good father. Tell me I've been a good wife, I've been a good mother, I've been a good person. And sometimes we look for that approval from people. But God is saying, I have already approved you. You are valuable. You are loved. God has a great plan for your life. I've asked the band to play a song that is quite special and dear to me as I come to an end because I know that I've, I've got the gift of continuity. No one's going to doubt that after the last few days. Okay? But uh, this song is special to me because of the fact that, you know, the book Born a Hindu, Die a Hindu were the words that my mother shared with me. And my mother inspired me to write the book because of what happened in her life. And I speak about our journey as Indians coming to South Africa. Because in New Zealand when I came, and people heard that I was from South Africa, I'd say I'm from South Africa. They go, but you don't look African. You look Indian. And I say, yeah, I am Indian. Well, how did that happen? So the book was written to explain the story of the Indian migration and, and the journey through South Africa, through the tumultuous times of apartheid and, and the hope that we have now. And the fact that I've got to forgive. I've got to let go. You know, I met Pastor Mike uh, in the beginning of last year in, in the, one of the hotels in Napier. I was staying with the Bulls, the Bulls rugby team. And I introduced him to Bucky's Botha. And I'm so distraught that I didn't take a photograph because here's Pastor Mike standing with 2.02 meter Bucky's Botha. And I thought that would make a real good photograph. But it may happen again. And the Bulls asked me to share a message in their Bible, in their Bible studies. And I spoke about the fact that there was a time when I was wearing a Springbok vest and there was a time when the Springbok logo symbolized hatred, oppression, segregation and inequality. But I said that time is gone because I can wear it proudly on my vest. And I said I want you to know why guys. I want you to know it is because of what somebody did 2,000 years ago on a cross. You see he took upon all the shame and all the hurt and all the suffering. And that cross was like the Springbok logo at one stage. It was not a nice representation for the masses. Because to, to people at the time, the cross symbolized shame, symbolized a, a very bad way to die. It symbolized hopelessness. But when Jesus died on the cross, he changed it around. And now when we look at the cross, we see hope. We see a bright new future. We see forgiveness. And I said, now when I look at the Springbok logo, I see a future for South Africa. I see reconciliation. I see forgiveness. Because whatever is in the past is in the past. And I can't live there anymore. And that's why I can move forward with forgiveness. And at this stage as well, we need to move forward. We need to move forward from where we're at. And when, when I got the first copy of this book, the first time that I got the copy of the book, was well, uh, the day that I got it, my dad phones me from South Africa. And he gives me a call that as a, as a child, you know, you, you want to get, you know you'll get it one day. But it's a call that you wish that you want to get as far, as far into the future as you can it was 3 o'clock in the morning of promise keepers on a Friday and you know when the phone rings at 3 o'clock in the morning you know, you know that it's not going to be the best of news and my dad phones me up and, and he says my mom's gone to be with the Lord my mother who inspired me to write the book 
my mother who uh, gave me life mother who inspired me with her life of overcoming and perseverance and she never got a chance to read the book the book was dedicated to her she never got a chance to read it and i was a bit distraught and and i went down switched on the dvd and put on one of my favorite worship songs and i watched it live my god is mighty to save he can move any mountain and i was disappointed because i couldn't make it in time for the funeral in south africa and my wife Jolene was almost ready to deliver our our fourth baby and when I did get down to South Africa the funeral was passed and as a son that was used by the Lord to lead my mum to him and especially as an Indian son the eldest I was not there at the funeral to give my tribute and I was disappointed I was hurt and I questioned God and I said God why and that's when he brought me to this place where he said my end Why do I want to send you down to give a tribute for your mom the one time? When now every time that you stand in front and you share the word that's your tribute to her. Now we can't bring our loved ones back, but the way that we live our life is testament to to what they've done for us. Maybe you've lost loved ones. You should have said things, you should have done things and you haven't. Hey, while you still have breath, let's live for the glory of God. Let's live for that. And as I've come to the end, uh, even as we stand and as we sing these powerful words, God, you can move any mountain. You know, we need compassion. We need to know that our failures and our hopes are in Christ. So I want to hand it over to Susan and the team. If you want to go in with Our God is mighty to save. Hallelujah. He can move any mountain. He is mighty to save.